Hello everyone, I'm your host, Ahad Hassan, and welcome to Season 4 of Titan Alumni Talks, a weekly podcast where we talk to alumni about their experiences at Cal State Fullerton. For this week's episode, we have Sarah Long, who currently works as an adjunct professor for UCI, Cypress College, and Coastline Community College. She graduated in 2015 with a Bachelor of Arts in History and a minor in Anthropology, and she also received her Master's of Arts in History in 2017. Listen as we talk about how she earned the nickname The Makeup Historian and why she chose history as her field of study. You can catch these episodes live at 11 a.m. on Tuesdays at titanradio.org or you can watch all past episodes on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash alumni. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So, so far at Cal State Fullerton, you got two degrees from there, your bachelor's in history and also your master's in history. To put it simply, I'm a firm believer that your passions lead you to your purpose. So when I was earning my associates at Orange Coast College, the only thing that really ever grabbed my interest was history because I had one phenomenal history professor who could just give these phenomenal lectures for three hours and I was captivated. So I just kept taking more and more history classes and then when I transferred over, just kept taking more. <laughs> and then eventually I was kind of evolved into something that I could really see myself devoting my professional life to. And the history program at Cal State Fullerton is phenomenal, especially because of the staff and the faculty there. It's a huge support system. So I think that also played a big part into me staying there and actually pursuing it as a career. So I really, I loved my time at Cal State Fullerton. <laughs> Currently, you are a teacher, right? Or you are a professor teaching history. So um, where is that at? And why have you chosen to teach history to students? When I graduated with my master's, I, I didn't go straight into a PhD program because I really wanted to see if I could put my degrees to work, if they were going to get me the job that I really wanted, if I could market them effectively. So once I graduated, I you know, started the adjunct hustle and applied everywhere that I could. And the first school I got um, a job at was Coastline Community College. So they were the ones who took a chance on me and I'll forever be grateful for that. And then I got hired at UCI at their uh, Department of Continuing Education and I'm still there today as well. And then I got hired at Cyprus. So right now I'm at UCI in Cyprus. Um, I don't know, actually there was a professor at, I mean, he's still there, Dr. McLean, <laughs> at Cal State Fullerton. I'll never forget in one of his classes, he said that teaching is, it's a calling. It's something that picks you. And honestly, I think one of the, it kind of depends on how you look at it. But to me, one of the biggest takeaways from studying history is this realization of just how short your time on earth really is. And a lot of people don't really pursue what makes them happy or what they're passionate about. And I wanted to give myself a shot to go for that. And teaching history was what made me happy. (laughs) And then, so you have this like title and especially with your podcast as well, um, saying that you are a makeup artist who turned into a history teacher or you're the makeup historian. Um, So when was this like passion (laughs) for being a makeup artist? So this was like before you started at Cal State Fullerton? Yeah. So, well, I can give you, I'll try to do the spark notes of the backstory (laughs) because it it eventually became my nickname. But the whole reason that happened was because uh, when I was 18 years old, I had absolutely no desire to go to college whatsoever, which is very ironic because I'm still there. So, (laughs) but I just never left. (laughs) But I remember telling my mom at 18, you know, like, I don't think college is for me. And basically she was kind of like, (laughs) you're going to college. (laughs) So 
we made we basically made a deal because I was really passionate about makeup when I was 18. I was like, no, I want to be a celebrity makeup artist because I'd been a painter my whole life and it was a easy transition. So, you know, I was passionate about all of it. And I made a deal with my mom that if they would pay for makeup school, I would go get my bachelor's and that was the trade-off. But then eventually I started taking more history classes. So I started, it was kind of strange because I pursued both careers kind of at the same time and not really knowing where they would go. So when I would work and I primarily worked at Mac and I remember I was working there pretty much the whole time that I was earning my degrees at Cal State Fullerton. And I would tell all of my friends at the Mac counter, you know, that I was a history major and taking history classes at night and commuting all the time. They would look at me like I was crazy. Like God just didn't take you for a history person. And then I would go to my history classes and tell them, yeah, I work at the makeup counter. <laughs> and they would look at me like, what? <laughs> so it was, it was really weird. But then that's kind of why I always go back to, I think your passions really do lead you to your purpose. And I think it's important to follow your intuition. So I had a question about um, you being a teacher, especially like during the pandemic. So you taught like a couple classes prior to um, the whole COVID-19 starting and like the online schooling. So um, how has that like changed your curriculum uh, from teaching in person and then now presumably you're teaching online and um, doing everything like that. So what is it from like a teacher's perspective? It was really difficult. I'll be 100% honest and transparent. It was really tough. It's been very tough on teachers. It's been tough on students. It, it, yeah, the whole, it was so abrupt when it actually happened. And I think the only reason I was able to somewhat transition pretty seamlessly was because I was already familiar with a lot of the technology that they wanted us to use for conducting online classes. But um, it, it, it really forced me to become a better teacher. It was either kind of, you. It, basically I think educators were presented with kind of this sink or swim moment. You know, either we're gonna get lapped and kind of lost or we as educators can adapt to the different types of technology for the sake of our students. And many of us did. And I really, I wish more people knew that, <laughs> just how much instructors really put in to trying to make their classes the same, you know, feel the same that they were when we were in person, but it was abrupt and, and many of us didn't have a lot of time to do training on that. So a lot of it was instinctive, but then I think the other part that was really difficult, at least for me, was is at times I would feel very helpless because I would see my students going through some really tough, tough things. And it was really hard to feel like you couldn't be there because not only, I mean, my job is very strictly kind of on paper is to help my students become a subject matter expert in United States history. That's the, you know, very blunt description. But as, as a teacher, I really care about my students. So that was hard because we lost that human connection and community and it was and it was even more difficult last semester when everything was completely online. And I had some students where I'd never seen their face, didn't know anything about their personality. It was challenging, but it now I actually think in the long run that I have taken away a lot from the whole experience. And it, you know, it helped me actually rev up my curriculum and my classes and come up with new strategies. So overall, I think it did help make myself a stronger educator, but but it was a challenge. Um, it's kind of difficult for them to adapt over and 
sort of hard to see from other people's perspectives. And um, like you mentioned that you kind of, well, you are a student currently, right? Um, getting your PhD. Yeah. So um, why did you decide to get your PhD? And was it like because of the pandemic or did you already have it in mind beforehand? Yeah, I had, well, I didn't jump straight into it because I wanted to see um, if I could actually get that job and if I liked it. I was like, if I don't like teaching, then I don't want to get my PhD because that's the main reason. If, when you get a PhD, basically what you're saying, you know, this is what I'm devoting my entire professional career towards. This is, this is it. You're really investing in yourself um, and in that particular field. And I just wasn't 100% sure when I graduated with my master's, if that was what I wanted to do, I wanted to test it out a little bit. But then uh, about two years into it, I was like, you know, I really love this. And I, I want to keep doing this for my whole career. I think this is it for me. I'm really happy. So I decided it was already in my mind to look into a PhD program. But before the COVID, uh, you know, whole shutdown happened, I was commuting all the time again as an instructor, like I had been when I was a student. And when, every, when we were all at home and everything was online, it was actually an opportunity for me to even have the time to apply or even think about it. And it allowed me to manage teaching um, the course load that I was taking on, but also to enroll in classes myself. So in a strange way, I don't know if I would have had the opportunity if that hadn't have happened at that particular moment in my life, I probably would have had to wait a few more years before I could go back and get my PhD. And then is this like program an online program or is this also one that you have to go in person for? It's online right now, but it's designed to be in person. Okay. <laughs> so it, that, that's another weird thing too, to have started a program at a school and I've never set foot on the campus. That's a little weird. <laughs> but yeah. I'm at Claremont Graduate University right now, and the instructors there are absolutely phenomenal. They've done an amazing job. All right, so we're back with Sarah, and now it's time to ask her the quick fire questions. All right, so the first one, it's, these are pretty difficult. Coffee versus tea. Oh my gosh, actually that is difficult because, uh, you know, the, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm American. I, I, like the, I like the coffee. Coffee is my go-to. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to stick with coffee on this one. <laughs> so what do you think was better, your undergrad, your graduate, or let's say like your doctorate? Uh, the, I, the only, I'm going to go with Claremont only because now I, I get to focus more on my own specific research. That's the only reason, that's the main thing. At the doctorate level, you're really focused on your research as well. So do you prefer math or language arts? Language arts. I can't, I actually was very good at math when I was in school, but would I willingly do it now? No, I don't want to. <laughs> you would rather like write and do stuff like that. I'm not a huge math fan. Oh, definitely. Oh. I would writing hands down any day. <laughs> I've tried writing a bit. It's, it's a bit difficult, but I mean, like you are like one of those creative type of people, you know, like with your makeup background and all that. So, I mean, like, it seems like it fits you a bit better. <laughs> yeah. So do you prefer waffles or pancakes? Waffles. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I just do. And especially my, I um, have Southern roots. So I'm always a, a fan of fried chicken and waffles as well. Yeah. You said that you interviewed Raymond Ortiz as well, mm -hmm. a fellow uh, history titan. And I, I don't want to tell everything, but I remember because I was at school with Raymond. We went there. He was graduated a few years before me. But I remember when he was getting his master's his thing he had his amazon shopping cart like completely full and every time he would com like complete an assignment 
he would buy one thing in his cart. And, and I, and I, uh, I wish you would have never told me about that because now I do that working on my PhD. And I was like, why did you tell me that? It's a really bad habit, but it's so fun. <laughs> now so, you told me, you, you just cursed everyone. It's just like a curse now. I know, I, I know. <laughs> That is a great yeah. idea, but I will go broke so quickly if I decide to do that. Like, so you, that, yeah, you just gotta do little things though, like okay. little, you know. And then every time you complete an assignment, I'm sorry, this is horrible advice. Actually, it don't is, take yeah, that. Just, yeah, don't. Sure, but now all your students, like any of them, are gonna listen to this, and then you'll be like, "Why are you guys coming in with like new pens, new pencils, new computers?" They're like, "Ah, I just gave you guys like an essay to write, and you guys all finished True. it." <laughs> So let's get into um, some students who are trying to get maybe into the field of history. Or I actually wanted to ask a question. So you did minor in anthropology um, in your undergrad, right? So what kind of made you want to do that? Like, why, why was that like a thing? Well, I, I always loved um, field work. I loved going out to different sites. And that actually started when I, when I got more into working with museums and public history. And I learned um, a little bit more about anthropology and then more specifically archaeology and I, and I really loved it uh, because there were many of the practices that we could use within public history and do so it was it was a way to kind of get out and actually see these historic sites that's what really drew me to it in the beginning and then I also really had a um, still have a love for conservation which is the the actual preservation of historical heritage so it was a good way to kind of get a foundation and break into that field a little bit. And yeah, again, it, it was another thing that I was just really passionate about. I was like, I think, I think this would be fun. I should go for this. <laughs> and I, I actually have been able to use a lot from what I, I learned in my anthropology classes, even not just in, in research, but especially in working in museums, it still, still helps me to this day. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it seems like your entire like university career or like as a student and even as a teacher um it's just like finding what you like to do and um just spending your time wisely you know not like it's not like bad to have downtime but you made sure that every choice you made had a purpose like and it had like a passion behind it that kind of made you do it yeah i think you explained that beautifully much better than i did but yeah that was the goal <laughs> so uh, let's get into like students who are trying to get into history and all that. Um, so why should they, like in your, um, maybe like a student is undecided or undeclared as their major, um, can you give like a, I don't know, like a, a spiel on like why they should join history? Can you like vouch for your major and your college? Of course. I mean, look at what's going on in the world today. Uh, I think that's the perfect example right now because I think what we're seeing right now is the consequence of technology that gives us immediate gratification. So if you look at, to me as a historian looking around, it's very ironic that we have more ways to access information than ever before in human history, but we choose not to. Why is that going on? And so many people we, we take things at face value. We don't research things. We don't ask questions, you know, why did, why was that published? Why did this happen? And then we go on the internet and we find the first thing that validates what we want to be true. And that's kind of it. And there's really nothing to, you know, really kind of keep us in check, but that's where historians come in because this is what we do. We research and we preserve the past. 
and we taught, you know, we're collecting information about all, all viewpoints, all of it. And I think it's really important. We're seeing how quickly uh, a nation can actually forget their own past and the consequences of that, how easy, and it's not to sound cliche, you know, the whole, you know, you repeat, you learn so that way you don't repeat the past. I think it's so much more than that, especially because we're living through this digital technology revolution. And, and, a, and in actuality, historians for a while were having a really tough time adapting. And I think that's why so many people were saying, you can't make a living out of it. Yeah, I can't do this. But that's absolutely not true. And, and especially just even if you didn't want to actually become a historian or a history professor, it's one of the most marketable degrees hands down. You can take it to so many different places because of the analysis skills that you take away from it and the writing skills. So it's very marketable if, if you wanted it just for that reason, but on a more personal kind of soul searching note, I think if you just take a look around the world right now and how immediate gratification is really harming us, it's making us very complacent. So many people vote a certain way just because they're registered under a certain political party, but not too many people actually go and research that specific proposition or a certain policy, and they make the assumption, well, this is my party. Uh, they'll prob I'll probably like this because it says that this party endorses it. How do you know that for sure? And you can do the research pretty easily. We have access to a lot of different things, but we don't. We've become complacent. I think one of the biggest issues is um, information overload. I mean, like you go on Google, you search anything up, it tells you you got like a billion results in half a second. And it's just, once you find out, um, I know there was like this game that people play. It's like you go on Wikipedia, you start at a certain page and like you're trying to time how fast you can go to a different, like completely unrelated topic. And then when you like see people play this game, how many different like topics there are that we don't know anything about or nearly enough about and it's just so difficult to make sure we know those topics even exist and then find out everything about them and then it kind of comes to the point where it's so easy for people to spread disinformation as well like creating like probably not on like major sites but it's super easy to create your own website pay a couple bucks a month and then with it you can just post whatever you want on it and then if it's like completely your beliefs you can easily convince someone else who's on the fence or maybe they just need that confirmation bias. They see your website and instantly they think, hey, look, this person's saying it also. Oh, they have a PhD, they're a doctor as well. Um, so we must trust them. I think because what we're seeing right now and what both of us kind of hinted towards was this polarized environment that we're all living in right now. And it's very sad because I see so many people they have lost the ability to kind of agree to disagree or to just simply listen and try to understand from something from a different perspective. People are very emotional right now and there's nothing wrong with emotion, but when it's only emotion, I think we run into some trouble. And so from my personal experience, I remember sitting in my classrooms at Cal State Fullerton, all sorts of different history classes. And we would talk about some really controversial things, some things that were very, uncomfortable because history puts you face to face with the truth and I all of my friends there were very opinionated but we had to we had to provide evidence for why we thought a certain way why we were you know kind of pursuing this certain perspective or arguing this point we always had to give evidence to back it up and then 
sometimes there'd be these really heated debates or conversations. And the minute class was over, we would walk out and we were fine. And it was like, not a big deal. But I see that happen today in society and we've lost that. We, oh, it's all kind of emotion and we don't back up what we're saying with evidence. We don't conduct that research anymore. So for me, as a, as a history teacher, I have never forgotten that. And I've made sure that I provide that type of environment for my students as well. And I've seen it, I've seen it happen again. Now, even as a teacher, I was teaching a women's and United States history class one semester and we talked about abortion. We taught, we looked at different news articles about abortion during the 1930s. And again, I had students who were very passionate, had very certain political or religious beliefs. And because of that mentality, show respect in order to receive it, I witnessed my own students have these very difficult conversations, but still respect one another and listen to the other person's perspective. And they did the same thing that I did when I was a student. Once class was over, walked out, and we were all friends, you know, like it was okay. I actually think it's very important to listen to people that you disagree with a lot. It helps you get that more comprehensive, like well-rounded perspective. So for just a, that alone is a good reason to invest in a history degree is to have that ability, because I think we've lost that. I really do think we've lost that in the world right now. And it's very, it leaves me pretty crestfallen sometimes, but one class at a time, one has, you know, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Let's talk about like what success means to you and sort of how has that like idea changed maybe like since you were a student now? Well, I mean, you still are a student, but now you're kind of a teacher uh, with like a career ahead of you and like working as a teacher, so. As a student, I definitely thought success was measured more so by money and materialistic things and, and status. That's, I really, and it sounds so silly to say that now, but that's the honest truth. That's how I measured success. You know, I wanted that certain position, that title and, and that, salary that was what i was going for and i told myself at times this is why you get the degree this is what you do and so that way you can get the job and live comfortably and now absolutely not my definition has totally changed <laughs> um, are those things necessary to live comfortably yes but i actually think when you view success uh, based on your happiness and the quality of, of life and how you make others feel those things that, you know, the materialistic things and the money and, and those titles, those kind of eventually come to you when you change your mindset because you're attracting, you're attracting different things, more positive things that will give you more opportunities. So now my, how I measure success is not only my personal happiness and kind of you know, overall health and mental health, but it's the impact that I have on others. Did I make a positive impact? And if I did, if I inspired someone to go for their dream, you know, to not live in fear, to chase that, their purpose, whatever that was, if I helped them learn more about history, so that way they could really understand who they are. That uh, to me, that's success now, the impact that I have as an educator, just as a person. <laughs> and I think about it this way quite a bit. If I, you know, if I'm lucky enough to live a really long life and I'm, you know, gray and wrinkly, <laughs> like, what do I wanna say? Will I be happy with, so whenever I'm thinking about the next big move or a certain decision, I always think about it that way. Will I be happy later in life that I did this? And if the answer is yes, then I continue on with it. And if it's no, you know, if it's in the grand scheme of things, if it's not important, then I just don't waste my energy on that anymore. So 
as a student, it really, it was about material things and, and money, but now it's so much more about the impact that I have on others and that it's in a positive, positive way. And that I'm, I'm happy because <laughs> life is just really short, you know, happiness and health. That's the main thing right now that I would kind of uh, measure success with. Mm -hmm. And this kind of like ties into like some volunteer experience that you have done at like a couple of museums as well, um, yeah. where it's not like there's no money involved in it. You're just kind of doing it to help others or maybe even in some cases like inspire others and just yeah. build a community out of it without like any real monetary gain from it. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, with the internships, I didn't make any money. <laughs> there was no money to me. Um, but I will say though, there's no money in the beginning there can be money later. So many students I think overlook internships and their importance because there's no dollar amount right then. And as a student, money is tight. I get that. It's, it, it is really tough to pay for school or to, to work and go to school. That's a difficult challenge as well. But it's about the doors that it opens later and the networking opportunities that you, you have and that you're creating for yourself. Because I, I worked at um, Rancho Los Alamitos. I did a, a whole, um archival project for them and and there was no money there <laughs> but the curator at the time later became the director and she introduced me to one of my future bosses so i i did get a job as a result of that internship so there isn't always immediate you know money but but there can be so i would definitely recommend to students do not overlook the the importance and the power of internships, but also do your research and really advocate for an internship somewhere where you really think you might want to end up because you very well could. It could open the door there, but you got to invest in yourself and you have to advocate for yourself as a student. I think that was something I had to learn the hard way. I didn't do that so much when I was earning my bachelor's, but in grad school and definitely now I see the importance of it. I got much better at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to end it off, I wanted to ask a question. Um, what was your favorite memory at Cal State Fullerton or like experience that you had over there? I have so many, so many. I made some, some of my best friends there. I love lots of happy memories, <laughs> but I think the most profound, um, I have two, but I'll, I'll try to, well, there's one moment I took a class with, her name is Dr. Burnell. She's amazing, still there. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget it. It was, I took a winter course with her and she is, she's a phenomenal instructor, phenomenal historian, but her class was not easy, not easy. I never worked so hard as I did in her class. But there was one time where I took a winter course of hers and I, I'll never forget it. She was very, cause there was a few other female graduate students there in that particular class. And she was very honest with us as, as young women. She's told us basically, it's not going to be fair and it's not going to be easy all the time as a woman in academia, but keep going anyway, keep going. You know, and she was really honest. She said, and I've never had, I just thought that was a huge moment for me because she was very honest and I needed that though. And, and because she was honest and it was the brutal truth that it wasn't gonna be fair and that is true, it's not always fair and life is not fair. But I think that's why she said it because it's not and you have to keep going. And when you, and the other thing she said too though was when you do get there, when you eventually kind of level up, pay it forward, make sure that the door is still open for others trying to get that position as well. 
So, and I actually never told her that. So I don't know if she'll watch this, but <laughs> it it lasted, you know, I, I still think about that all the time, especially as a female instructor. It's not fair, it's not easy all the time, but you can still do it. Life can go on and you still can make a huge difference. But when you get to the top or wherever you're trying to go, pay it forward, that's huge. So I'll, I'll forever be grateful for that piece of advice from her. She really made an impact on my life. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us on the podcast today. And uh, oh. I wanted to plug um, the Titan Pro Network. I'm not sure if you are a part of it, but um, what it is is basically a Raquel State Fullerton's very own um, site that's very similar to LinkedIn in the sense that you can easily connect to alumni, staff, faculty, and students um, to ask them about like general advice or any like questions that you have for them or questions they have for you. Um, so it's very easy to get connected. And I believe we have over a thousand alumni already signed up for the program. And it's, it's just very simple to give that advice as an alum, or maybe just like if you want to ask uh, students, or maybe you want someone to shadow you or give any like tips about history, you know, about uh, to these students, um, it's just like very simple to do so. So um, if you sign up for it, then I'm sure like a ton of students will uh, want to ask you questions about maybe even this episode as well. And just like, um, where to go with their history degree, because I know um, you and Raymond, even though you guys graduated uh, around the same time, you both took like different career paths, which is yeah. like, interesting from like the history degree. So it just kind of shows that just because you're a history major does not mean you have to be a history professor. And there's a lot, like I think you mentioned prior that it kind of builds a skill set taking um, or majoring in history and graduating with it. Um, you kind of do have that skill set that allows you to um, participate in a lot of different activities and work in different fields that are completely unrelated to history in itself, but you kind of <laughs> obtain those like skills from doing that. So yeah, so thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us on the podcast. And of course, thank you.